number 534, God Has No Grandchildren, preached April 19, 1970 in the First Presbyterian Church of Bakerstown, the text John 20, 25, unless I see, I will not believe. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with the other ten when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the print of the nails, and place my finger in the mark of the nails, and place my hand in his side, I will not believe. Eight days later his disciples were again in the house, and Thomas this time was with them. The doors were shut. But Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not be faithless but believing. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not and yet believe. What this parish needs and every other parish needs are people who know God more than second hand. Those very famous words were spoken first by Thomas Carlyle the great Scottish essayist, and he spoke them to the horse-and-buggy age of the 19th century. I believe on this day of national prayer and thanksgiving, these words need to be echoed throughout the pulpits of America, and especially at the conclusion of this past week, they should be heard in the hearts and in the minds of all God's people in this land, those of us who live in this space age of 20th century America. What this parish and this world needs are more people who know God other than second hand. You see, it's at moments like this when we have been going through a week the like of which we have just passed, when suddenly we realize that in the midst of trial and tribulation we either have it or we don't have it. One of the great things that will come out of the history of this past few days will be that great lesson that has been taught again and again and was shown us once again this past few days that in time of calamity and adversity either we, each one of us, as individuals, has a strong personal faith in God or we don't. I was very pleased and I think our president was very right yesterday afternoon in Honolulu 
when in greeting those three brave astronauts back from the moon, in quoting, even though he did it rather loosely, those famous words of Samuel Johnson of the 18th century, where he said, adversity is what introduces a man most quickly and most easily and causes a man to recognize himself. Is this not true? When we are in adversity, is not this the time when we suddenly realize that we have either been trying to live on borrowed faith, on trying to find the meaning in life through the godliness of some parent or through the devotion of some mate, where we realize that we have a strong, powerful faith that is personal and which will enable us not only to enter the valley but to pass through it and to triumph in the light of the great beyond. It's either one way or another, and adversity always points it up to us. Either we have it or we don't. At, at moments of depression, and at those times of grief and of suffering and of disappointment, of peril, of crisis, of threats, these are the moments, you see, when the, even the great sacred thoughts of a godly parent's heritage and of a, of a great father or a great mother's faith do us absolutely no good whatsoever. At moments like this, it really doesn't matter whether or not your father was a preacher or a leader in the church for many, many years, or that your mother was a church school teacher for umpteen generations. It doesn't matter whether or not the number of services that your mate has attended along without you amounts to enough to help you to find the strength to walk through that particular experience. What is important is do you have the faith or don't you? That is why on this particular day I would like to turn your attention to an individual who had a terribly difficult time in finding a strong personal faith. And I make mention of the Apostle Thomas. Faith for him was tough. It did not come easily. And please do not forget of the eleven remaining disciples out of the original twelve. He was the eleventh one to gain a personal faith. The last one, the caboose, all the other disciples had it. It was poor Thomas. Thomas whom tradition calls the doubt the unbeliever. It was this man who had a faith that was fought upon the anvil of history, upon the circumstances of his own life, and which came to him in a very personal and powerful way only after he experienced many difficult and hard things. How do you get a personal faith? You cannot inherit it. You cannot beg, borrow, and steal it. Either you develop it through your experience and your philosophy and by the grace of God in your life, or you don't have it. Unlike possessions and money and, and even physical appearances, your parents cannot hand you a faith, no matter how desirous they are to give you of the benevolent and overflowing faith which they might have. Nobody can give another man this. A man can, must get this by himself. 
And under the grace of God, by working through his particular problems, this is the way he finds faith in God and in what God is doing in his life and in the world. Thomas found this, but he could find this, you see, because basically no matter what tradition or what you think of Thomas, he was a very honest man. Thomas was honest. He was an individual who was always asking questions, an individual who was continuously seeking further illumination. Sometimes it caused embarrassment. Sometimes it did not always come out in the most polite fashion. But he was an individual who, above everything else, crude as it might appear, was very honest. He was honest not only to himself, but what was even more important, he was honest to his Lord. Jesus. Remember there in the upper room, in the Passover, which our friends the Jews will be celebrating this Tuesday, Jesus began to talk on the subject of death. Be not afraid, he said, in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, but I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. Whither I go, ye know, and the way you know. Wait a minute, Lord. That was Thomas. Lord, I'm sorry, but you've lost me on that last train of thought. We don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Will you give us a little more explanation? Lord, I don't understand. Now, you can be sure that the other, and there were 11 at that time, disciples, who did not understand either. I'm sure Peter and James and John and some of those other people who were great disciples, but perhaps were not quite as honest, they sat there and shook their heads in agreement even though when they didn't know what Jesus was talking about. But not Thomas. No, no. Lord, what on tarnation are you talking about? Now that doesn't sound very polite. But one thing you've got to say was very honest. And I don't know where we get this idea, but sometimes in the church we get the feeling that it's never right to question the words of Jesus. They say, I don't know where we got that idea, certainly not from Jesus. Because in my searching of the scripture, I never have found once where Jesus refused to answer an honest and sincere question. Yes, those those trick questions that some of the Pharisees and Sadducees and Herodians presented to him, he didn't answer those. But when somebody came to him in honesty, whether it was a woman of the street or a man of the world, Christ did his best to explain. Yet in this day and age, many of us feel you don't dare question Jesus that it makes a weakness in your faith if you should happen to say to him in prayer or to a fellow Christian, I'm sorry, but I don't understand that part. Granted, if you claim to know all things and believe all things without any question or doubt, you may look good and you may sound good, but believe me, you're not very honest. And I doubt with that type of an attitude you'll ever find a very strong personal faith. Because most of the people I know have a strong faith. At one time they were doubters. 
And in prayer they went unto the Lord saying, Lord, help me to see this. I can't understand. And the answer has come. Maybe not quite as quickly as did that answer of our Lord to, to Thomas when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. That's what I mean when I say, Thou knowest whither I go and the way you know. But some of us just can't be honest with Jesus. But Thomas was, and he was, he was honest not only with his Lord, but he was honest with his Lord's friends and with the other disciples. That's the great thing, you see. This, this man had a sense of freedom within the fellowship of love. When the other ten had been in the upper room and why Thomas was there, I, I don't know. But when the other ten on Easter night had been in the upper room and Christ had come and stood in their midst, the resurrected Lord saw them, talked with them, ate with them, told them he loved them. Thomas wasn't there, but the other disciples in that same spirit of the of the powerful Lord ran out and looked for that one disciple who was missing and they ran up to him when they found him and they said, Thomas, we have seen the Lord, we have seen the Lord. Now notice Thomas did not think that these people, these fellow disciples, had skipped a cog. He did not say, you are seeing hallucinations. He did not try to make fun of them. He knew those men and he respected those fellow disciples and, and, and he loved them. But one thing that he could not do was that he could not agree with them because he had not seen what they had seen nor had he heard what they had heard. But in spite of his disagreement with them, and please notice this point, Thomas absolutely refused to allow himself to become separated from those of the community who had seen more than he had seen and heard more than he had heard. Now that speaks very highly of this doubter. This man who was on his way to a strong personal faith. He was an individual who refused to be separated from those people who had seen more than he and had heard more than he. You know, that speaks very highly, does it not, of the other ten disciples? You see, just as easy as it would have been for Thomas to forsake the ten, call them old-fashioned, call them people who are trying to live under an illusion, call them people who are trying to keep alive an establishment that should have died. This he did not do. Neither did the ten disciples dismiss this Thomas by saying, he's a radical, he's a misfit, he always was a troublemaker, he never could believe, I doubt if he ever will believe, goodbye and good riddance. Now, they, they didn't do that. They didn't do that. They saw in Thomas a man with whom they could not agree, but a man whom they could love. And just as Thomas refused to allow himself to be separated from those with whom he could not agree, so that group would not allow one of theirs to be separated from them with whom they could not agree. All oh, that spirit that was there in that early band, if it could only be in the church today, because you see, there are two big tragedies in the church, not just one as many people think, there are two tragedies. 
The first being the great multitudes of people, both young and old, who feel that they have not seen or heard Jesus the way some of us claim we have seen him and we have heard him. They say that they have not been in the same upper room. Therefore, they leave our midst. They say to us we are old-fashioned. They say that that we are trying to keep an institution alive that should die, that must radically change. And they say they cannot longer be a part of it. Maybe they respect us. Maybe they love us. But they can't live with us. And they leave. But that's only one of the tragedies. The second one is those of us who are a part of the established church, those of us who say we have special revelation and we have seen the Lord and we have heard the Lord in a way that maybe some of the younger or older people have not yet understood. We say unto the Tommies of our generation, go ahead and go, and that's a tragedy. You're a misfit. If you cannot see the way we see, go ahead and go. That's tragic. And of the two, perhaps it is the most tragic. There are far too many of us who claim to know the love of God, who are in the community of believers, who say that through our maturity and through our Bible study and through our prayer and through the grace of God, we have been given a revelation to see Jesus and to understand him. But we turn out that fellow who cannot see the way we see or has not heard what we have heard. The disciples didn't do that to Thomas. And Thomas did not turn away from his fellow disciples because though they disagreed, they respected each other for their beliefs, and they loved each other. And notice they didn't try to change each other. They both knew that if they were to change, that was God's job, not theirs. The only responsibility they had to their brother with whom they disagreed was to love them. And that's what they did. Thomas refused to allow himself to be separated from those believers with whom he disagreed, and the believers refused to allow Thomas to be separated from them, who disagreed with him, but nevertheless who loved him. And then you see they were together in the upper room eight days later. Why were they together? Because the disciples invited and brought Thomas, and Thomas in the same love and response accepted that invitation. And there they were, in that community of love, Christ came and stood in their midst. Let's make no doubt about it, he came to all the disciples, but I'm sure that night specifically he came to Thomas. All right, Thomas, you want to see the print of the nails in my hand. You want to put your fingers in the cuts in my hand. You want to put your hand in the side which has been torn open. This man, though, because he was honest with his Lord, was willing to accept the light which had come to him. 
And this man, you see, because he was in a community of love, even though he knew he did not disagree in what was more important, those with whom he was with, they knew that he did not agree with him. In that community of love, this man was able to say, My Lord, my God, I have a personal faith. A personal faith was born that night because a person was willing to be honest with Lord, the Lord and with his fellow man and because a community of believers was big enough to accept people who had not yet seen what maybe others in the group had seen. You know, maybe why we don't have more people moving mountains with their faith. It just might be because some of us aren't too honest with God and with each other. And it just might be, I hope not, but it just might be because some people don't feel welcomed and loved within this community of believers. And when some light comes from this pulpit or some revelation comes from the reading or the teaching of God's holy word, they wish they could grab on, but because they are threatened by this spirit of ill love, they feel that they cannot fall on their knees and say, My Lord and my God, my faith is real. I don't know why it is. But for some reason or another, within the world and within this church, some of us do not seem to be growing with a strong personal faith. Is it because we are not honest? Is it because we're not willing to accept one another in the great spirit of love, even when we disagree? Or is it because we're not willing to have the freedom to accept the new truth as it comes to us, and to take the light as God gives it to us? I don't know. But this much I do know. What this parish needs is what every parish needs, individuals who have more than a second-hand knowledge of God. And this can come only as you are willing to be honest and to give your love and to accept the truth that comes. You see, God has no grandchildren. You can't ride into heaven or find the power of faith because your parents were godly people. If you do not have the faith yourself and know that you are a son and a daughter of God and can say unto your Creator, My Lord, my God, my faith, then God is not very much to you. You're either a son or a daughter of the Lord, or you're nothing, because God has no grandchildren, only sons.